Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. So, last week, um, for those of you who were here, I drawn, uh, preached out of Luke 10. And um, it was a really good message on the Good Samaritan. You know, and it talked about how important it is, you know, for us to have mercy and compassion shown to all people. But he kept asking the question, you know, what do you want to be known for? How do you want people, when people see you, what do you want to be known for? And then, he, you know, we talked about, you know, what your obit would say and different things. But he kept coming back to that over and over again. And that's kind of a quest that I have been on since February. I thought, well, maybe I'll address that this morning as well because it fits really good. Uh, back in February, I was, I was reading through Hebrews um, chapter 3, and um, uh, the book was reciting and reminding us how rebellious the Jews and the Israelites were wandering out in the desert. And they, they would set their heart toward anything, absolutely anything but God. It didn't matter what it was, they'd set their heart toward it, but they would not set their heart toward God. And it really provoked the Lord, because he knew how bad they needed that in their life. And, and of course, we need that very, it's very important for us in our life as well. And so I really got to thinking about that. What does that mean? You know, what does it look like to set your heart toward God? Now, that's a pretty broad statement, right? There's a lot of things that come into play there. But as I started working my way through that, the Lord started revealing a lot of things to me in my own life on how that looks and what a heart set toward God, uh, well, you know, what it involves. So I'd like to kind of talk about that this morning, and we'll explore into that a little bit, and just, um, you know, it's, it's amazing, because I think I stopped with 13 or 14 things, right, that I came up with as great examples. Oh, this is what a, in fact, just what John preached on last week. People who have their hearts set toward God show compassion and mercy to other people. It fits right in with that scripture. You can see, you know, everything's going to have some kind of a tie. I think I was on 13 or 14, well, this morning we're going to have time to cover two, all right? But um, praise the Lord, those, two, those are two that really spoke to me, so I think we'll share them. But uh, before we do that, let's just talk a little about, bit about the heart. So let's, uh, let's turn to Proverbs, Proverbs 4 and uh, verse 23. So um, there's a lot of scripture in the Bible about the heart. We, we know that it can, it can deceive us, and there's a lot of scripture in the Bible about how important the heart is. It, it's actually, you know, it, it's like it's the core of our very being. Um, the, you know, the Jewish people looked at all of the emotions, the thing that were involved in there, but the core of your very being, everything that symbolizes that what you believe in and who you are flows from the heart. So Proverbs 4.23 says this, and boy, this is fun to read in different versions too, because I don't care how you read it, it, it pretty much says the same thing in, in a really encouraging way. But the ESV says, keep your heart with all diligence." For from it flow the springs of life. It's pretty important. Pretty important. What we do with our heart is really important. And we have to keep it with diligence. If you look at the NLT version, those of you who are using that this morning, it says, guard your heart. Keep your heart. Guard your heart, right? Above all else. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This is very important. It, it, you know, as the more I got to looking at this, the more I realized, you know, we've got a will here. We can make choices on what we want to give our heart to. And this world offers a lot of competition for our heart. 
And it's been doing it for years. And I, I, you know, I look back when my kids were little, and I look at kids now, and, and even, it didn't bother me before, but I swear, every time I go to Disney, I just go, ugh, because it's always follow your own heart. Be what you want to be. You know, there's just, the messages that our children are receiving in this area are amazing. So parents, be aware of it. Be looking for it all the time. Uh, the TV, the advertising, the YouTube, we've talked about this before. I think it's something that we really need to be uh, mindful of. But the heart is a really, really important thing. It really, it'll define, it will define who we are to others. Just like Daron talked about last week. You, what, what you set your heart on, what you treasure in your life, is going to tell others what is important to you. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, yeah, that guy there, that's what's important to him. I, I, you know, that, you know, because they're going to know where, where your treasure is. Over time, they're going to see how that works. And like Jerron said last week, he wanted to be known for following Jesus, right? And so I just think as we look at this this morning, it'll be encouraging to understand how important that choice we make in our life with the heart is. So... <clears throat> I started losing my voice last night. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We'll see what happens here. But um, I think that the first thing we need to do before we go into two of the things that I came up with as examples for setting your heart toward God is start a little bit with a foundation, something that's really critical that allows us, it gives us the ability, it equips us to set our heart toward God. And really, it was God's plan before he even created the world. You know, God had this thing figured out before he even started creation, it was finished. And he had a plan for our redemption, a plan for our salvation, and he knew what he was going to do before he even started. All right? And so, as we look into this, let's just, I'll tell you what, let's just do it real quick. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. And boy, I'll tell you, some of the verses even this morning you guys picked out are really close to where, to where we're going to be hanging out this morning. So, the first thing I want to, I just briefly want to talk about Jesus, that foundation. You know, there are obviously in the Bible there's several different scriptures all the way from the first book to the last that tells us about Christ and about his attributes and about his character. But boy, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is really powerful. So let's, uh, let's look at that this morning. Starting with verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God firstborn of all creation. You stop right there. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. Uh, if you want to read about that some more, go to John chapter 1. Listen, folks, it's right there. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. By him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and isable, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and all things were created for him. You getting a picture about Jesus here? He is before all things. Jesus Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There's nobody above Christ. He is preeminent. He is the ultimate authority. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, because Christ is God and God is Christ. 
Christ is God in the flesh, incarnate, when he came to the earth and died for our sins. And through him to reconcile, look at this verse, pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by what? By the blood of the cross. So, now if we were to make a short list of just that scripture right there, Jesus is God. Jesus created all things. He's before all things. He holds all things together. He is the head of the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the indwelling of the fullness of God. He reconciles all things in heaven and earth to himself through the cross. He is preeminent. Nothing, nothing is above Jesus Christ, who is God. As you start reading this, you, can, you start understanding the importance of the doctrine of the Trinity as well, right? As we start going through the cell. Now, hold your finger right there because we're going to jump back to Colossians. Let's go over to John 17. This is what we're trying to set up here a little bit. I guess we'll go back to John 17 and be the better way to put it. We read out of John 15 this morning for our worship. It was great and ties right in with what we're going to be talking about here. John 17, 20 through 23. This is Jesus giving his, what they call that high priestly prayer, right? Before he went to the cross. And uh, he's praying for the disciples. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Wow. That they may be one, even as we are one. I, Jesus, in them, and you, God, in me, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So what we need to remember constantly when we start trying to live a life that has our hearts set toward God is the God of all creation, the God who loved you and chose you before he even began the creation of this world, the God who loved you and chose you before he, after he completed that creation, the God who loved you and chose you before you were even born. He dwells within you. He is in us. He dwells within us. Christ is in us. The Bible says it's uh, the mystery of salvation revealed. It was God's plan from the beginning. Man, did I need to be reminded of this. God dwells within us. That changes the game big time for the church and for the people of the church and for the mission that he has given us. And it was his plan from the beginning. It, it marks us as his own and he dwells within us. Christ is in God. God is in Christ. They are in us. Christ dwells within us. I'm really going to try and push. Let's flip back to Colossians real quick. Darn it, why did I keep my thumb there like I said? Okay, let's see. Let's read uh, like 24 through about 27. This is Paul talking now. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word, the word of God fully known, the mystery, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is this mystery? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That's the mystery that's been revealed. Christ is in us. And that is so critically important as we move forward uh, into these other scriptures. Anything we do in our life, as as a believer, I need to remind myself of that all the time. Right? Because there's a war out there. There's a spiritual warfare that's taking place. Christ dwells in us. He lives in us. Before he created anything, he chose us, he knew us. All right? And another thing that's really important about Colossians, and I'm just going to spend a little time on it, is to understand the fact all of creation, all of creation is a picture of Christ. And the Christ who spoke that into being, the God of all things and all things that are in him, dwells in us, and all creation is a picture of of Christ. And I, I'll stand up here myself, and I, I, I won't even hesitate for a second. According to the scripture and what it says, God created this world. Period. All right? I think that is so fundamental to the Christian faith. So fundamental. It wasn't that long ago I was in Washington, D.C., uh, get some of David's stuff and drive it back before he headed over to England. So we went over to the Smithsonian uh, Museum over there. That was a museum of uh, natural science and history. And, man, I thought, wow, everything in there was just awesome. The the display of God's creation was unbelievable. But what really grieved me is in every room you went into, there were quotes of God had nothing to do with this. There were quotes of Darwin or somebody else that said, and they presented it as truth, this is how you came about. This is how the universe was created. It just grieved me because those people were looking at those lies and they soaked it in as truth. They were bringing their children up to those displays, right? And they were reading that stuff, and they were thinking it was truth. God created this world. What they need in every room in here is Colossians 1.15. Jesus created all things for his good and for his pleasure. Now, go take a look and see what you can see. So I just wanted to briefly um, mention that as well. I think it is so important as we read through Colossians. And, of course, everywhere you go in Scripture, we're going to see that. God spoke this world into being. The God who spoke this world into being, before he created it, knew you and redeemed you and chose you. And he dwells within you. So, let's look at a couple things that now pertain to having your heart set on God. And I have to admit, the reason I put this one in here, this one probably convicted me the most. And the more I studied and looked at it, the more I realized, ah, this really, it's kind of like needs to be the number one thing because everything else kind of flows through it and uh, works through it. So let's take a look at it real quick. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 34 through 
We'll start with 34, because it's what we were talking about to start out with. This is Jesus talking. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then he goes on to say, stay dressed for action. King James Version says, gird your loins. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. I don't always wonder why there's not an at the table, right? There's a table, it's okay. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also, you also must be ready. You must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And he mentions this again over and over again in some other verses. He's coming at an hour that we do not expect. I mean, I can, from the time I was a little kid and I can remember church, I've always constantly heard Jesus is coming back soon. And you know what? He is coming back soon. Depends on how relative you want to make soon. Right? But he is coming back soon. But we need to be ready. And as I read this and went through it, you know, the message to me was, overall, being ready for the return of Jesus is more important than to know when he's going to return. Because we don't know when he's going to return. But being ready, that's what's really important. That's what he's telling us. Be prepared. Get dressed. The Greg paraphrased version, I had to change this a little bit because it was too strong. My wife helped me with this. So did Janice. Thank you, Janice. The Greg paraphrased version of that is, get your butt out of bed and take off your pajamas and get dressed. Right? Get ready. Get ready. Gird your loins. Light your lamps. There's like this eagerness. There's this expectancy. Every day when our feet hit the floor and we get out of bed, man, Jesus could come back today. This could be it. This could be the day, Christ. We don't know when it's going to be, but this could be the day. So I need to be ready. I need to be prepared. I need to be about his business. I need to listen to what Christ is telling me here. This really, really convicted me because there are some days I never get here. I never get to this point, but I need to, and I'm more conscious of it now. I, I, it, he is coming back. He's coming back to get his church guarantee it we don't know when it's going to be but in the meantime we need to make sure we're ready those lamps need to be lit those loins need to be girded we need to be prepared for when that time comes um you know paul understood this second timothy 4 verses 6 through 8 every time i read this i, I can just feel paul's emotion as he's sharing how he's coming to the end of his ministry here on earth, and he's ready to go home. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, 
and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have what? Loved his appearing. There's, it's like, there's no way of putting it. Just loved. There's a love for his appearing. There's this earnest desire, this loving, because we know what it's all about. This earnest desire for that appearing. So I think a heart set toward God is alert, is prepared, it's awake and ready for the Lord's return, and, is, and, is it ex, and it's excited. There's expectancy in that heart as that heart is set toward God. Okay, let's move to the next one. Man, you get you guys out of here early. We're doing good this morning. This one here was also shared this morning a little bit when we got into a John chapter 15. A heart set toward God invests in God's kingdom and produces kingdom gain. So, I mean, when you go back and you look at, well, I mean, Greg, give me some examples of how to be prepared. Well, being about the business of the Lord, that's why all this other stuff ties into it. If you're out there producing kingdom gain, you're living a life where you're, you're, you're preparing for the Lord's return. The, the, the Christian life, it's not about breaking even. It's about gain. It's about gain. Kingdom gain. We are called to invest and produce kingdom gain. Let's move, uh, go to Matthew 25. I, I think for some reason I like Matthew's version of this the best of the Gospels. But the, uh, the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, we'll look at verses 14 through 30. Boy, there's some lessons here. And understanding, you know, as people who have the indwelling spirit of Christ in them, you know, what is expected of us. Starting with verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability. Every one of us have talents. And we've been given talents according to the ability that we have. God knows what those abilities are. Then he went away. He who received the five talents went at once, at once, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. There will be a settling of accounts. We've been given talents. We've been given talents individually. We have been given talents corporately in this body. To, to, to whom much is given, much is expected. And God has given this church a mission. He's given me a mission. He's given each and every one of us individually a mission. And there will be an accounting. I gave you this. Where, what's the kingdom game? Where are we at? Verse 20, and he 
who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also and he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who also had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. Boy, we don't want to be walking around in fear with our talents. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. You get a lot of different opinions on that when you look at some different commentaries, but my favorite one is this. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. That talent's going to go to use. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We are kingdom gain producers. That's what we are called to do. In fact, in John 15 this morning, it said, you can't do it outside of Christ, but if we are truly, if we prove to be Christ's disciples, it's going to be in the fruit that you can see. That proves it. His disciples make fruit. They produce kingdom gain. It's just that simple. You know, I, I think, I know the way I describe this sometimes, and it's always kind of fun because I get different responses from different people, but, you know, in, in, instead of saying, you know, a heart set toward God invests in God's kingdom and produces kingdom gain, I say, a person who has their heart set toward God does not play it safe. And some people are like, whoa, you know, what do you mean by that? I mean they don't play it safe. I, I, I look at the characters in the Bible from the beginning to the end, I wouldn't call them people who played it safe. I put people who set their heart toward God and trusted in Him and, weren't, and really weren't all that worried about the income. They knew that God had it in control. I believe, personally, that risk and fear and failure, they are byproducts of this fallen, cursed, temporary world. They do not exist in the unseen realm of God. And we have God inside of us. Now, I'm not saying we don't be smart and we, don't make, we try to make good decisions. I'm just saying, go for it. Go for it. Attack. Produce some kingdom gain. How many examples of this do we have in the Bible? They're countless. When God, when the, when the Holy Trinity created this world, when the triune God got together, they didn't go, oh man, okay, let's do it. Let's just hope it works. All right, go for it. No. It wasn't a risk. 
they knew what it was gonna, how it was going to turn out before they even started. And with Christ within us, even the impossible becomes very possible when it's within God's will. Because of that indwelling of Christ in our lives. So, you know, I look at living water, I think we've been given much. I think God has brought a very unique bunch of people together, and we've been given a lot. And if there's one thing I've noticed about you folks, the minute we don't have a hill to charge up, you get really restless. That's a good thing. I'm really thankful for that. Because you want to be moving. You want to stretch the boundaries. We've done a lot of things around here where people have said, that's not going to work. How's that going to happen? God's pretty big, but he's not quite that big, right? No, and I, I'm not, and if it didn't work out right, it wouldn't even be a failure. Because you move forward in faith, and God has his hand on it. Look at all the other things that have gone on uh, in the Christian faith. Even just recently with uh, you know, the Christian Academy, Veritas. <laughs> you know, that was not playing it safe. It's not open yet. But some wonderful things are happening for them with students and teachers and finances where God's got his hand on it. And if it doesn't open, it's not a failure. Because you, I think, you know, we're not taking a risk. We're stepping out, producing kingdom gain. That's what we're doing. So, if anybody wants to talk to me about that later this week, you can. I know I might be stretching there a little bit. But I really, I really believe that with Christ in us, you know, and, and when it comes to producing kingdom gain, the impossible does become very possible if you step out in faith and move forward in it. Any endeavor, any endeavor that involves kingdom gain, it's always going to be worthy of the investment of our time and of our talents and our resources. And those talents, each and every one of us, some, we might not even know for sure what some of those talents are, but you've been given them. And you will be held accountable to use those talents. And what we don't want to do is dig a hole in the ground and hide them. We want to actively go out there and use them. This, and, and, you know, and, and the main thing that I think stopped that guy from doing that was fear. He was afraid. He was probably afraid of failure. He probably saw it as being too risky. He knew that his master made profits off of these things without even doing anything because he gave it to other people to go out and make the gain, but the gain was his. That's how it is in God's kingdom. He entrusts us with that work. We go out and do it. All that gain is for his glory through the work of his church. So those talents that he's given us, we don't want to hide them in a hole. On that day of accountability, we don't want to show the Lord a hole in the ground and say, oh, I put it in here. But here, you can have it back. It doesn't work that way. It's, we look at John 15, 16, and 17 makes it very clear. Christ is in us. We are called to produce fruit. We need to keep doing that individually and as a, as, a, as a body in Christ. So I will say this. When you look at living water, guys, there are a lot of opportunities to use your talents. Um, you know, children's ministry is continually looking for volunteers. What we're doing right now on Fridays with Explorers Camp is unbelievable. And the volunteer base that's been part of it is fantastic. But there is kingdom gain taking place Fridays with kids in this church. That's what we're called to do. That is a really good thing. Here's a good one for you. The place everybody wants to spend time, right? In the nursery. Ah. We need help in the nursery, all right? 
So there have been a few Sundays all of a sudden, instead of two or three, we're up to 13, 14, 15 kids in there. And I can attest, I spent two services in there a couple weeks ago. It only takes one screamer. It's one-on-one, -on -one, man. <laughs> Period, right? <laughs> if you've got one screamer, it takes one adult, and that's it. It's all you can do for that guy. So it takes help. And then I also discovered that one screamer makes all the other kids scream, right? So then I'm taking the kid into another room and I, you know, what the heck. Praise the Lord. If maybe God's telling you, hey, maybe just one service a month you want to serve in that nursery. There's lots of opportunities. There's fruit-producing things taking place within the body, the community groups that everybody can get involved in that you maybe want to start and lead. The mission trips, one just ended in Nicaragua. What a wonderful trip that was. That's all fruit-producing gain. That's part of what God has made us and how we work. You know, and all the different things we do, all the different family team events that we've had here. You know, um, the Rain Youth Group, our high school kids. I just have a feeling this fall, as we get this building over here done, and boy, we're getting close, folks, I've got a feeling it's going to explode. Because all of a sudden, you're going to have a gymnasium with a basketball court, and with a volleyball court, and with a pickleball court, which I don't know if you like that, but their parents might really like it, okay? And we'll have foosball tables in there, might even have a pool table, ping pong tables, places to hang out, sit, talk, visit. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for our youth. I got a feeling they're going to need some help. Pray, pray for the Lord and see maybe where he'll lead you in that one as well. So, what is your heart set on today? It can change from day to day, can't it? Boy, I tell you, mine does. Whew. I get caught up on doing certain things, mostly around the house. And boy, it doesn't take long for me to get, get my priorities messed up a little bit. What is your heart set toward today? Like I told you before, there's cultures after, there's so many things that can compete with us on that. And all the things that we have and we do, there's nothing wrong with that. But we just need to make sure that Amongst those things, our heart is set toward God. Those things can be used for his glory and for his kingdom and for kingdom gain, period. You know, and I, 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 one of the greatest examples of exempt of this is hunting, right? Hunting's good no matter what. We've always decided that. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, you can actually take somebody hunting and have a positive influence on them out in the field as a Christian. There's a lot of different things you can do in a very powerful way um, with some of the things that we love to do on a daily basis. So let's gird our loins, let's light our lamps, let's be standing by that door going, oh man, I can, I can hardly wait for him to knock, because when he does, I'm going to open that door. I'm ready for my master return. We need to invest and use our talents and produce kingdom gain for God's glory, because if we don't use those talents, we're going to lose them. I, I do not think we want to play it safe. I think we want to invest wisely, but I think we want to be fearless. We do not want to be motivated by fear. Because indeed, much has been given and much is expected. That's in Luke 12, 49, by the way, if you want to read that. So, as a church, I think let's remind ourselves daily, uh, individually let's remind ourselves daily, that Christ dwells in us. The God of all creation. The God who is beyond space and time. Dwells within us. Eternity. I mean, we're in this temporary world. Jesus lives in the unseen realm right now, but yet he's in us. We're actually 
there's a connection to that right now eternally because Christ is in us. It's a really important thing to hold on to and that will motivate us and it'll equip us and it'll empower us to do mighty things for God's kingdom. That's what we're here for a short time. We know how fast it goes. There's a lot of people out there that are lost that need Jesus. There's a lot of people out there that know Jesus that need to grow in Jesus. That should never stop until the day the Lord calls you home, whenever that might be. So as a church, let's just make sure that we're on track and we're using those talents for God's glory and honor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, uh, well, for this day that you have given us. For the people within this building who have walked in here, your church. We walked in here today with your spirit indwelling within us. We're going to walk out of here today with your spirit indwelling in us. Lord, may we produce fruit for your kingdom. May we bring glory to your name in everything we do. May we hold fast to the truth and serve you well and be under your care and protection in all the things you've called us to be a part of. We want to be on target. So Holy Spirit, guide and direct and lead us so that as a church, we bring again glory and honor to our Heavenly Father. For in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.